Welcome to the Lifetime at Work podcast, episode 14, the podcast where you can learn vicarious through others of what work life is like in another career. We talk about the good, the bad, and everything we're trying to achieve and inspire and do with our careers. We spend so much of our lives at work, how do we make the time count? My name is Greg Martin, and by day I just happen to be the co-founder and CEO of a food business called Farmer, but when I have time, I do this. And on this week's podcast, we are talking doctors... I never realized how hard it was to become and then remain a doctor and all the things you have to do. And now you put COVID-19 on top of that and it is not getting any easier. So let's play the intro music. If you're a fan of the podcast, go to lifetimeatwork.com. There you can follow everything related to this podcast and also subscribe to the email list. Before we begin, I wanted to give you a quick update on farmer prepared meals and what we are doing now. One of the interesting things that I'm doing is starting a YouTube channel and you can go on to lifetimeatwork.com and and see that and and link to it and see the the first video. I'm going to be posting another one pretty soon, but it tells the story of farmer and what it's like and has been like for me to start this business, be involved with it, and then also the impact that COVID-19 has had on, on trying to run a restaurant and and how it's really transformed what we're doing as a as a business. So there's a lot of cool things there. And, and on top of all that, if you are hungry and you don't want to cook a meal, you can always check us out, farmr.ca. We're delivering uh, that much further now across... Not only the GTA, but as far as London and Barrie and Hamilton uh, once a week. So so check out the website. We're, we're doing a lot of great stuff. And if you use the promo code I know Greg, all one word, you can get a, a bit of a discount there. My guest this week is a man by the name of Khalid Pasha. And I go way back with this guy. We went to middle school together and all through high school. And after university... Um, we didn't go to university together, but he was in the greater Toronto area. He went to U of T and then he left to go become a doctor and to go to medical school. And he went on this crazy journey taking uh, initial med school in the Caribbean and then found jobs in and around the US, a few different jobs kind of training to become a cardiologist. And so he's just kind of been all in on this, uh, becoming a doctor for for a while and and so many years and and now has has achieved it and i hadn't really caught up with him on all the things that it took and the the sacrifices and just the the drive that it takes to be a doctor um and most interestingly he was in new york city doing kind of the end of this fellowship uh, in cardiology when covid-19 hit and it it really you know transformed his hospital and was a huge kind of crazy experience um which we we talk about at the end of this interview but if you've ever wondered what doctors are doing and all the work that you have to do and and how crazy it is to be you know not only say something like a surgeon or an ER doctor but all the different paths that kind of doctors take and and how they get there and how they choose and decide what they want to be i mean this interview kind of has it all and uh, and he throws in a bunch of really cool stories as well about you know his experiences and where he's gotten his inspiration to be a doctor and kind of keep going. It's just, it's, it's very hard. I think there's a lot of tests. There's a lot of education. It just, it really never ends when you are a doctor, you're just always learning stuff. And, and he's a perfect example of that. So please listen and enjoy my interview here with Khalid Pasha. Well, Khalid, welcome to the Lifetime at Work podcast. Thanks for joining me. 
Thanks for having me, Greg. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to heard a few of your previous podcasts, and it's been a very interesting series. So happy to join. Nice, nice. Okay, great. Well, we, we go a long ways back, but why don't you start probably the best place is just giving like a two-minute background on who you are, what you do, and 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 we'll go from there. Sure, absolutely. So um, as Greg, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Colin Pasha. I grew up here in Toronto, uh, in Mississauga, particularly in the West End, and went to Gordon Graydon for high school, where we both met actually before that in junior high. I uh, went on from there uh, to uh, University of Toronto, and now I am currently practicing as a cardiologist here in Toronto. But my journey has been a little different than maybe most other cardiologists here. I went to school internationally and then uh, came back to America, was in America for about 11 years for training. And I've uh, now come back to Toronto to start practicing. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, yeah, we've known each other. We were just uh, saying before the interview started uh, something like 23, 24 years. And it does not seem like that long. But when you, uh, the thing that I've always thought about doctors and, and even just thinking about that as a profession is it takes a long time. Does it, has it felt like a long time you've been, you've been studying and be, becoming to get to the point where you're a cardiologist now? Yeah, absolutely. All right. You don't, it's, it's one thing that you don't kind of have people tell you this when you get into the profession or thinking about getting to the profession, but typically at that age, you don't have that foresight to think, all right, like I might be in school till I'm 35, but you don't realize what 35 is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, and you get out and into your 35 and you're like, whoa, okay. You know, uh, you, you go, you go to the gym and you play basketball your knees hurt a little more and, and, you know, you, you start experiencing old age much quicker. And then you think the last 10 years went by because you're in school, but you know, those 10 years are very fruitful and you need that energy. I think I, I always think back and I, I look at people in the profession who I trained with who, you know, had, had different professions and then transferred over. And I really commend them. It's because it, you need the useful energy. I think, um, to get you through some of the tough days because uh as, as most people understand especially during the pandemic now that you know medicine is not an easy profession uh it takes a lot of dedication a lot of hard work and it's it's uh it can be challenging on uh, just as anything else but i think more than most because it's a, it's almost a different realm yeah like it's a different way i think it's they put you through a grueling training because it is that important and Absolutely. it right and 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 it's a different breed of person i think when you have to be or not or just a unique breed you have to really want it to say hey i'm going to put in all the work never quit and and keep it up until i get to that degree yeah yeah absolutely right? yeah. um so maybe describe like what you do now like what is so what does being a cardiologist mean sure uh so for those that are unaware a cardiologist is specifically a doctor that deals with issues of the heart. Uh, our most common diagnosis is usually something called coronary artery disease. I guess in layman's terms, that's blockages of the heart, uh, and we deal with any issues that surround the heart. That's the most common thing that we see, at least in, in the Western world. It's the primary cause of death for most people. Uh, and so our specialty is... Uh, it's quite important in the field of medicine in itself. So uh, we're dealing with a lot of critical patients. We're dealing with a lot of folks that uh, that are in very tough situations when uh, 
they come to us in the hospital. So, um, you know, but not all of our, our, our whole career and our job is like that. There is a lot of our medicine that is focused on uh, preventive aspect. And, you know, we don't want to see patients coming to the hospital with heart attacks. So our, so our goal as cardiologists, not only to be reactive, but to be preventive. So as, as a cardiologist, you're primarily dealing with issues, not only of the heart, but complex causes that can affect blood flow around the body. And that is, uh, is commonly seen even in every sort of infection of the body. So what's the, what kind of things do you need to know as a cardiologist? Because you go and, and study all these different things relating to the body and everything, right? Because it obviously relates to so many things. And, and, and but then you focus on this one thing, which is the heart. How, like how much do you day-to-day kind of need to know about everything? Or are you so specialized that sort of what you're doing and what you need to know is is super specific? I, I'm just, again, I'm coming from this. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea. It sounds almost more complicated than I could imagine. And I'm trying to, I don't know, simplify it and understand sort of what you do and what you need to know to be a cardiologist. What's going on. So the easiest way to, uh, to kind of uh, explain that is, uh, I could probably explain to you what it requires to be something like a cardiologist. So to be a cardiologist, you have to go through four years of medical school where you're learning about every organ in the body. And then from there you go on and you have to do a um, three to four year program in something called internal medicine. So internal medicine is essentially the doctor that you run into that manages all of the medical floors in the hospital. So you're dealing with all of the common issues dealing from common infections to uh, basic treatments of strokes and heart attacks and diabetes. You're seeing those folks in clinic. And at that point, that's the juncture where a lot of people decide this is what I want to do. I want to be more generalized, but taking care of patients in the acute setting or in the outpatient setting, or which is like a clinic, or then at that point you decide, do I want to specialize? So once you've done the four-year training, you decide, do you want to specialize in multiple different things? And that could range from anywhere, like cardiology that requires another three years of training. And uh, you could do something like geriatrics, where you're taking care of people in nursing homes. That's usually about one year of training. So to answer your question, have I, as a cardiologist, what do you need to know? Well, you need to know a lot of general medicine before you get to this specialty phase. So as a, as a doctor, you're first not only qualified to be an internal medicine doctor, which requires for you to be someone who would be capable, for example, to treat patients with COVID when they come in. And once you're at that stage, then you're, or, or even sorry, common diagnoses like urinary tract infections, uh, you know, bronchitis, uh, asthma, COPD, these are common things that internists, internal medicine doctors would see. And once you're a cardiologist, you focus and specialize on on procedures of the heart and diagnoses of just the heart. It's medicine. It's the the overall kind of medical school, and then your um, begins sort of the training, which is more internal general, and then from there you go to um, specialize in something if you want to, and and you chose cardiology, right? And then yeah. there's a wide range of specialties, and um, for those that are even interested in medicine, it's not only my field or my my track that you could pick. What I always tell people is, you know, we 
people have a wide range of um, personalities. Uh, and maybe I'm a little naive not being living in the, in the medical world for the last 14, 15 years, but you will find someone and some job for almost every type of personality in the medical field. Uh, as, as doctors, we, we usually feel that there is almost like two different worlds that's within the hospital and outside the hospital. And we're seeing a dramatic effect of that now with COVID, where you see all these, these shocking pictures and images and videos on TV. But within the walls of the hospital, there are doctors who like to be more methodical. There are doctors who like to be more aggressive and procedural. And that has a good reflection in your personality. Or someone like a psychiatrist also who likes to have conversations and uh, have lengthy, uh, a deep thought for a process. So medicine actually is quite encompassing for folks with all kinds of different personalities. Do you think that something about your personality made you more predisposed then to want to be uh, this? Absolutely. Yeah. So once you're, once you're in that phase, yeah. So as you asked, there's, so in medicine, there's lots of different, uh, I, I guess, timelines in your career where you, you face decisions about career paths. So once you're within the field, you're thinking at the end of medical school, what is uh, the specialty I wanted to apply to? And as I mentioned to you before, you think, uh, I said, I went to internal medicine. In medical school, the great part of medical school and training is that you're experiencing all of these. So the last two years of medical school, essentially what you're doing is you're jumping from different department to department and getting a, a, a firsthand look and almost an internship, I guess, of yeah. all the different departments. So your, your first two years of medical school are in the books. You're buried. You're sitting through exams. You're, you know, you're, you're going through... Day to day class, leaving class, going back, studying, reviewing your notes, and taking your exams and your board exams. The last two years are more focused on clinical work. So in those two years, you're going from the emergency department, and you do you know 12 weeks in a psychiatry ward. Uh, I had the incredible pleasure of doing a psychiatry ward in uh, South Beach. So <laughs> I didn't know you were going to go with that. Yes, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> So, you know, like I, I would be leaving and then, you know, like I'd be leaving, so like uh, leaving work, leaving uh, the hospital. And I didn't live too far from the hospital. I lived in, uh, close to North Beach, which is it's a great part about being able to live in Miami. Yeah. I live on the beach. And then, you know, like you'll see one of your patients standing, you know, that, like who was just let go from the ward. And he's, they, they're very pleasant. They're very nice people. They just have uh, their mental illnesses, which are huge issue now it's unfortunate but you know there's a lot of homelessness and societal issues and socioeconomic issues involved with mental illnesses but you know there so you'll get that experience you'll get that experience right and then you'll go to the emergency room sorry and uh you know you'll you'll get to see the the patient who arrested at home rushed in and you're doing cpr and you you get all those different experiences once you're in uh, in the realm of medicine. So I'm going to come back to why you picked this one so so simply, but why I, I almost want to take a step back and ask yeah. you why medicine in the first place? Like, why did you want to become a doctor in, in the first place? Did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into when you made that decision? 
Yeah, you know that's that's a, that's a very good question because uh, to to be honest with you, I didn't have the full grasp of it, right? Uh, and I, I don't think any of us do before we get into our careers. Uh, Did you, you know, think though, like in in middle school or high school, like is that what you kind of? If, 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 no, you didn't think that at all. <laughs> no. no, absolutely not. I'll I'll give you a sense of because we went to school together. We went yeah, to yeah. School, we went to high school together, right? And we went. We Greg and I. Uh, for those listening, we went through a business and technology school, right? And we were focused on uh, learning, of, which was very helpful. You know, it put us in an environment, I think, I always tell people, it put us in an environment where you're surrounded by people that were always achieving something higher, right? And that, uh, that, that kind of puts you in, in a realm where you knew you were trying to aim for different things and all of our different career paths. We all had different ways. And, and you know, we all did very well in different fields. But uh, in, in high school, for example, when I left, I, was, I had applied to engineering school. And my parents were, in, my, my dad's an engineer, my brother's an engineer. That had a good influence on me. And at that point, I, I had done some schooling, uh, summer school stuff where I was doing programming. And I said, you know, this is not for me. I want to be, be hands-on at work, right? I can't be sitting behind a desk I can't be programming on a computer. That's not my personality. Yeah. So uh, I, I went to university not knowing anything of what I was going to do. So I went through four years kind of exploring more careers, looking at different options. I knew I was, I was good at math, and I kind of enjoyed chemistry and physics, oddly enough. Uh, so I, I took my sciences, and I said, like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus towards the science field. And then I did some research when I was in university. I did uh, some clinical research at U of T with one of the professors. I found it to be quite boring, actually. And, you know, <laughs> it sounds, it sounded, you, you made it sound boring, yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, <laughs> it was quite boring, right? And, and even now, there are people who do research in medicine, but you, know, you don't have to be a research scientist to be a, you know, a doctor. And there's a lot of my colleagues who went through the same, same route, That's, which is not medicine. But you know, then I, I started experiencing... Things like um, I, 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 we always, I guess, for me was my job. I wanted to have a purpose. I wanted to feel a purpose of, you know, your job is your a, a good part of your life, and and your identity. So for me, I I wanted a purpose for my job, and when I I in uh, 2006, back quite quite a few years back, I, I went to Sri Lanka. Because my cousin knew some guy who was going on a relief trip with a bunch of doctors. Uh, so I applied, got in, you know, uh, ended up going to Sri Lanka with a bunch of random people from McMaster. I knew nobody on there for about six, six, uh, six to eight weeks. Uh, and we worked with a lot of doctors just doing ridiculous things. We were just carrying equipment for them. Uh, and they were setting up medical fields. But... It, it, you found a real sense of gratification that people had for these guys and, and, and ladies who were helping them through such a disaster. And I said, man, this is cool, right? Like they are selfless, they're educated, they're smart. Uh, and this is something I would be interested in. So I started exploring it at that point. And, you know, and, and I am, I'm very happy I did. But at that point, did I know all the challenges that I would face in medicine? Absolutely not, uh, to be honest. Right, but am I? Was I prepared? Was my personality? I said I was. I'm going to take this on. So I, you know, as, as time went on, I took it on. 
I can see that we're, especially with COVID-19, where we put this sort of focus a little bit more on doctors and just all the people helping. And in a way, you, you can't even do wrong. Like, it's sort of like you're, no matter what you're doing, what little part you're doing to kind of contribute to this, to, to, to people being sick or troubled, like you're helping. And, and you take it even further where you are, you know, where someone's heart is giving out and they come to you and they say, please help me. If you don't, like, that's it. And it's hard to not see how what you're doing is important. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it's you you feel it every day, right? And and sometimes it, it that satisfaction and gratification. I'm only 15 years in, but uh, you think like, uh, is this going to wear off, right? Yeah. Like, but there's a lot of times where you think to yourself, like you go through very stressful situations where you know someone has arrested, someone's heart's essentially stopped. Majority of the times. We're not. We're not. We're not uh, able to solve the, the the issues that and the, the limitations that uh, human life puts on us. We're we're just giving you medications within the restrictions of what science allows. We're not saviors by any means, <laughs> yeah. right? But but what we're when we're able to achieve what we do, uh, it's it's a really happy and you know you sit there and you think to yourself like, you know I. I I changed that family's life, right, for for a long time, and that they they showed you that, right, and and I actually uh, the the reason I guess we can, we might get into this later is why cardiology. I always thought about this. So at a moment in medical school, it was actually uh, the end of my second year of medical school. So uh, as you know, my my parents are usually between multiple countries. I don't see them a lot. So my mom was in India. And had a heart attack and it was the day before one of my exams and my my parents didn't tell me because my one of my big exams was next the next day <laughs> crazy right but being south asian that's like that's a thing i guess i don't know you're you're still more important your your, your exam is yeah, more important somehow right <laughs> it's, it's crazy but yeah pretty crazy right <laughs> but the the next day i thought about it and i for me that like i never forget that feeling i had about how thankful I was to that guy who saved my mom's life, right? Like, and since that day forward, I thought to myself, like, that's how I want, you know, that's that's the effect I want to make on other people's lives. And to some, when, when I lose that, I always think back to that moment is, you know, like, that's probably what I'm doing to somebody else. I might not feel it. And, you know, I hear thank you, thank you so much from a lot of people, but... And I think like maybe you were that thank you is that same kid who was thanking the doctor. Right. So that to me gets me through tough days. Like what's the toughest, but you mentioned a few times, like what's to you the toughest part of having gone through get, getting to where you are now? And, and that's a very general question, but I, I, I wonder if you're alluding to something in particular or is it the grand like oh, no, journey that it was to get here? It's not, it's, uh, you know, the, the toughest thing to this day, Greg, is, is when you lose patience, right? Like, uh, I'll tell you, it's so humbling. One of my mentors always told me, medicine, and she is a 40-year experienced cardiologist, every day in this field, you learn and you're humbled. 
Uh, and, you know, that's not always true, but when you're in a hospital and you're seeing sick cases after sick cases, it usually becomes true. But uh, it's at least once a week, you will find something that will humble you. You might think, hey, I'm on I'm a doctor with this much experience, and it just kicks you right back down to earth. And it, it really does, man. Like, And for example, I'll, I'll never forget, right? Like, here I am, a hotshot. I, I did really well in, in medical school now. I got into like a very good residency program now. I'm, uh, on my first day, I'm in my ICU. And I remember this like 22-year-old girl that came in, right? And she did not look sick at all. But some of the doctors had some foresight to say like, she needs to be in the ICU. And within 24 hours, and she was like a grad student. She was wonderful. But, you know, like you, she was gone. Right. And, you know, those moments where you just lose people, which is it's insane. Right. Like it's and that doesn't go away. Now, if you ask me about like what in a more realistic sense about what is what was difficult about the path that we took, it's 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 uh, it's not only challenging is a is a is not enough justification of what that path requires. Um, It is, you know, uh, gruesome. Right. Yeah. Like you went, so you're at your undergrad, you're, you're having, uh, whatever you're, you decided that you want to now go into medicine. Like how, what, (laughs) what's the path like, and and first, or I guess what would be the ideal path versus the one you took? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So uh, ideal path, you know, ideal path is to go through medical school here or wherever it is. Right. And then wherever you were, your, your family is that becomes a lot easier because you need your family around. Yeah. Uh, I remember, I remember when you were early in your career, I remember you were working 80 hours a week, right? And then you're doing 80 to hundred hours a week. You're doing 36 hours shifts, right? Like it's not, you hear about it, but you're actually awake for about 30 hours straight and you have to be, Yeah. you don't have a, an option. Right. And that is the, 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 the part where you're you're actually working now the schooling part is really challenging right and then it it should be for the right reasons because they're preparing you for these moments that are going to be mentally physically exhausting but that that uh, you know you're going through exams like uh, i just got my certification for my facc which is awesome i'm very excited but that was a uh, you know at this stage at of my career, I just took an exam, which was 16 hours. It was 10 hours on one day, six hours on the next day. And it's, it's, you know, it's not forgiving, but <laughs> yeah, right, you, but you have to train yourself for that. And you, you get numb to that feeling. So I don't ever want to discourage people that that's not a reason why, but you should, you shouldn't come in thinking it's going to be all roses. Right. And I didn't know that, but lucky for me, I knew my, and I knew my personality and I, I knew if I feel and I was challenged, I would always step up and find a way to resolve it, right? So for, for the education part, it's quite challenging. And that's not, uh, that one exam of 16 hours is, is one of many. Yeah. I do about, you know, about, probably about 10 exams like that now, right? So uh, if, if you're able to prepare yourself and, you know, go through that process, it's a great career. And like you think back to high school and what we complained about, yeah, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, we got this extra assignment right? or we got like this, you know, all they, they, they I, I don't know, the test was like 
it took me the whole period. <laughs> like, I don't know what we used to complain about. Yeah, like but an like, hour. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, like an hour was too much. Yeah. University when it was like a, a three-hour open book exam. It was yeah. like, can't do this. You know, yeah, like, I'm going to have to sit this one out, man. How, like how <laughs> far, I know, like just how far is that? Like it just, it just, it's crazy how little that actually prepares you for what the real world is. Because you had no idea, right? Like going in, Absolutely into, into high school, like you're just... Like, I don't know, doctor, they seem pretty chill when I go to the doctor and right. I don't know, whatever hospital, wherever I do, like they're cool. I don't know. Right. Like it's, it seems easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask, I, like, it's interesting. Like we're having this conversation about careers, but you know, I had a perspective about my doctor and, and, and people usually have a perspective of their family doctor, I guess, which is quite different. Yeah. But, uh, and you know, most people like, what did you think about what a doctor's profession was when you, you know, you were younger? Were you, or you always think that they're quite easily balanced life? Is that totally? Yeah. Like my doctor was very, I mean, it was kind of almost too, like they were a higher power of some sort. Like they were just a super smart person. I think that was chosen somehow to, um, to do this. And like, they just kind of just happened to know a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> and, and then we said, Hey, we're going to call you a doctor and you're going to tell these people what, to, what, what, to, what, what, and, and it was easy. I mean, he just would, you know, the doctor would typically just ha have a look, ask you a few questions, do the same three or four tests and then prescribe something. And that, and it just like, that was his life on repeat. Right. And, and I did watch a little ER um, and that seemed a lot harder, but they <laughs> always, they always had fun. Like they seemed like they were enjoying themselves kind of, and it was hard, but like in the end it was, it was like, feel good. So, you know, those people were different, different caliber for sure. But it, it, that wasn't, you know, you see it on TV. You don't really think that's what it's like. It, it, it was the doctors that I would meet that I would think, Hey, this is, this is what a doctor does. It's absolutely. <laughs> and you don't like, and, and, for and for people that are interested in this profession, the, the thing that you have to know is that you have that option. Right. Like I told you at the start of this is that there's so much uh, variability and adaptiveness to people with different personalities in the field of medicine that you have the option of being a family doctor where you work three days a week. Right. Or you work, uh, you know, four days a week and you take a week off. Yeah. Or if, if you want to be, uh, you know, the, the hotshot who is doing open heart surgeries. That's the option you have, right? And then there's a lot of flexibility for what your personality allows. So, uh, yeah, just like you, I thought, you know, this, this, these guys are seem like they're geniuses. They're chosen. Absolutely not, right? Like, just <laughs> like I'll tell you, every like we know each other for a while, right? Like, I, I we were all capable. But none of us were standout stars in school, right? But, uh, you know, we, it's all hard work. That's yeah, all, yeah. It's just like nothing else. It's just, it takes a certain level of dedication and, and hard work. And I've seen that, and there's no geniuses going through medical school. And I have worked with people who went to school at Yale and Harvard. Uh, and there are no, there's, there's no difference. It's just all hard work. And how much you want to do it. Is, is there a certain, like, amount of memorizing like if you're good at memorizing things is that is that is that a helpful thing for med school or actually practicing being a doctor i've kind of always wanted to ask that question to every doctor and never have i don't you know like interestingly enough in the current the current way medicine is practiced i don't think so yeah. right so you know you have the accessibility of every encyclopedia at your fingertips so now uh, you know at some phase you know our doctors 
that we trained with the old school guys will always tell us like, you know, we used to memorize Harrison's, which is essentially the, like the, the, the book that Fauci is a co-author for and is the Bible for medicine. Uh, but you know, like, great, you memorized it, but you also only had like five chapters. Now we have 400, right. But now, so for us, it's, there, there is a level of memorization that is involved, right? You have to know and memorize the human body, but that is not what medicine is. It's not redundancy. It's not, uh, it's not just, you know, uh, just seeing what you're seeing in a textbook and uh, revert, like just saying it out what you, what you just read. Instead, like medicine, the, the most important thing I think, which I didn't convey in this whole conversation is that it's always challenging. No case is straight and there is, any doctor that tells you with 100% certainty that something is achievable is lying to you, uh, always. Because in, in medicine, there is no such certainty. And that's the one thing I found probably the coolest in medicine is I, I, I loved the challenge of putting myself to think about situations, right? You'll find fairly challenging cases at least once or twice a day. And you're sitting there and thinking like, what's my response to this? There's no absolute answer, but here are my different options. Which one is weighted better than the other? So that's a, yeah. it's a very good challenge in medicine. So medicine, I think to answer your question, memorization is not a, not a big part. It's not, yeah, because, yeah. you know, where I last left off with any, you know, was in some sort of science class in, in high school where that was the case, where I felt like, hey, if I was better at memorizing, I would be better at this. And then maybe I would go and be a, you know, a doctor, but I was, yeah. um, yeah, like none, none of that really, <laughs> I, and, and, I, I kind of knew it wasn't true. And yeah. And, you know, I think we went through, through physics together, right? Yeah. Like this was more applicable, but you still had to memorize Newton's laws, but then you went to biology and they're just reading about random things and memorizing the cell structure. And that, you know, for me, that never seemed to appeal. So when I first was, my first exposure was I hated biology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Me too. Biology and biology. And I was like, this it is was not memorizing. It was too much memorizing. It was, it's exactly what it was in high school. Yeah. And, and now after, and then like when I, when I started to get a grasp of what these guys do, you know, when, there's no memorizing what you saw in a textbook when you're, you know, doing a, a open heart surgery. There's no, there, none of that helps you right now. You memorize all the aspects to know what the anatomy is. Now you're, you're putting that stuff to work. It's essentially learning a new language. That's all, that's all it is. It's, it's commonly just, they're just teaching you a new language. Yeah. Once you learn the language, then you're speaking it. The speaking is the medicine. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the basics that you're learning there in biology and chemistry, I mean, those, though you're memorizing, it's like, Hey, these are, this is like the critical stuff that you need to know before you could know anything else. Right. It's and basics is right. Yeah, it's just it's like, it's like, so basic. Yeah. Right. It's like teaching you counting before you start. Right. Right. Yeah. We have right. to start somewhere. Right. I start here and <laughs> stay with us here. Otherwise you're, you're not yeah. going to get anything else. Yes, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, what's your, so you become a doctor, you're now like a you know, practicing cardiologist. Like what becomes your goal for your, cause you've always kind of had this goal, right. In in you've always been trying to, you know, before you actually are, and, and you, I mentioned a bunch of letters for something that you just accomplished. Um, but you know, you're trying to, uh, achieve this and get here like does that continue in your career and are you then or, or do you kind of end up at a point where you're just trying to see more patients and and do more good and get better at your your craft 
Right. So that's a very good question. So I think uh, at different points of your career, you're faced with different challenges, just like anything else. Uh, if you're personally asking me, I'm at a point where I'm at a, at a very early point in my career. So I'm, I'm trying to build confidence, right? And trying to see patients and, you know, I, I know that everything I learned in training, I'm able to stand on my own two feet and make, and, and make those own decisions by myself, right? So once, but you start thinking at, at every point you want to have a five to 10 year goal. And mine is, there's always the option of going back and do more training and be more specialized. And uh, which, you know, it's, it seems kind of crazy, but, it, but it, it's, it's, it's fun, right? Like you want to be, you want to be at the forefront of medicine, right? Like you're in this crazy world where you're inserting these microscopic things. Uh, you got the coolest toys in the world. Now, you know, learn to do something with them, which is, which is always inciting. Uh, or, you know, you can build your practice, build your patient population and make a difference in your community, wherever you are. So for me, I, myself, I, I, you know, I'm at that difficult transition point. And I think, now where do I want to head? I'm, I'm practicing now, but you know, you, you never know. You always have to, uh, I think, aim for something else, aim for, aim for the next step and, and, and never stop. That's always been kind of my approach to things. And so you've, pretty recently come back from the States. Um, and so we'll get into where, where you were when COVID began, but why, why were you, um, like, where did you do your schooling and, and, um, what kind of brought you to the States for, for such a long time? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I had mentioned earlier that I, I went, did my undergrad here at university of Toronto. I made a very late decision I think to go into medicine about the fourth year of school, I was lost between courses. I was in like anthropology and biology and it was, it's stuff that I found interesting, but uh, no way headed towards a career. And then once I decided my options were quite limited, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't work hard as I should have in university. So I ended up going to the Caribbean for medical school. So I went to Ross university, uh, which was really challenging and, Going to school on an island doesn't seem as cool as, you know, as, as it sounds like, uh, you know, your KFC is the, the biggest restaurant on the island. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you know, you always have sewage problems. You have yeah. one running around. Uh, once I got through that phase, I, you know, I got into schooling. I was in New York state. I was in Buffalo for a few years. And then I went, I was in Miami and primarily in New York and, uh, and did my, did my training there in New York City. So I was at uh, in Manhattan, kind of, which was, I got lucky and got to ex- at least experience New York, at least lucky for the most part until almost the end of my career. So, uh, And so was there advantages to you in, in being in the States or is that just uh, kind of how, how it sort of worked out in where you got the right jobs for you at the right time and, and, and the right roles? Right. So for folks that are actually interested in medicine, that there's a lot of different paths to get here. Uh, Things that I want to touch on is, you know, I have lots of friends and people I went to school with over the years that have gone through multiple different pathways. The obviously the most obvious pathway seems the easiest yet challenging pathway seems to go to the local university and get your medical degree and go from there. And, and stay within that area. But, uh, you know, I've had friends go to Australia, 
London. I've had friends go to Ireland uh, through the Caribbean route, through through America. There's also different options in America that people don't mention, which is uh, osteopathic doctors, which are uh, not as common here, but are available uh, and are essentially MDs that have a holistic approach. Uh, you can also be a physician's assistant, which is a very good option for people that don't want to go through the long course of medical school. Usually it's about four years uh, and NPs. So you can be a nurse and then do a nurse practitioner degree after some experience in a critical care unit. Those are all good options to be practitioners. Uh, for me personally, the way I ended up there is, you know, I, I had good options available. Coming to Canada becomes a little more challenging for training. Now things have changed a little bit and the borders are a little more open. 50% of graduates and in, 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 in doctors in America are foreign grads in training. So uh, keep that open as if, you, if you're exploring things, you know, you, you don't have to be restricted if you can't get into your local university, there's lots of different options. And again, 50% of the people that are training in America to become doctors are from foreign schools. So, um, you know, that's, it's always an option. And, and it's not, I mean, it, it, my impression is that it isn't easy, the people that I've known, to get into medical school in Canada. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a... Very challenging, it's right? very challenging, right? Like they, there's only a certain number of of people yeah. that actually get in because the, the tests and, you know, just grueling. Well, it's not, it's, I don't think it's the test. I think it's the level of maturity that you have to have at that yeah. stage. And knowing that, you know, like, knowing that that is what you want, you know, like thinking back, it's like, uh, it's like when you went to university and it's uh, acing, it's just like sitting there telling yourself that I have to get a 4.0 in, first year chemistry because I have to get to medical school. And you have right. that determination at that phase, that, you know, you're going to make it, but, uh, and you work hard, you're going to make it, but it's not like the tests for medical school here are going to be any harder than they're going to be in, you know, South Dakota yeah, yeah. thing. Right. So, or in London, England, it's going to be challenging anywhere you go, but, uh, getting into medical school here becomes very challenging for, Canadian person because back when we were coming out of high school and university there was about 13 medical schools in all of uh in on, on the like the non-Quebec side side of of Canada so uh you know you're stuck with about 100 and 1300 people all across the country every year and it's competitive yeah right MCATs are grueling right so that uh I don't know what it's like now and I can't speak to it but back in back when we were younger that's a difficult exam. That's not easy. And just the pressure, right, of, of saying, hey, I've, I've told everyone that I want to be a doctor. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm trying to get into med school. And then, you know, the pressure of having to do it. I mean, imagine the stress and all, and all that. It's just the, but it sounds like it's just the beginning of what is then going to become many tests and many things to become, you know, right. what yeah, you actually a- want to be as a practicing doctor. When along the line do you stop does the, the cost stop and do you actually start to make money? Like actually start to earn an income? Is it <laughs> like post med school? Is it, does that happen then? Or are well, you, you know, still- it, it's funny. Like, you know, when we, when, uh, like the last six to eight years when I've been in training, everybody 
thinks now that I'm a doctor, I can afford like when we went out with our friends, they'd be like, why aren't you paying for this? You're the doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, you you know, I, I would be lying if I didn't think that I didn't weigh having job security and financial security in my decision to to pursue medicine. Right. Like those, those are important things that you have. I think you have to weigh. You would be silly to not say like, you know, I'm, in most instances, there's a component of logic that kicks in and say, am I going to be able to support my family with this job? For To answer your question simply is not until you, when you graduate out of medical school, you're, you're essentially, you're on a minimal salary, right? So it's, it's hard to almost make a living and support a family as, as when you're in training. When you're in training, you're considered a full doctor. So for the common things that people see, like Grey's Anatomy and different shows like scrubs so they're essentially residents throughout most of that show right. so when you're there I, like you know you're making about 50 to fifty-five thousand, uh and that's about six years where you're uh, you know you're given housing uh you're given different things but you're not living the lavish lifestyle that people think you are and even when you get out of training when you're essentially eventually independent uh that's when you start seeing some of the, the fruits of your labor and, you know, depending on your different type of specialty, uh, your different specialties will make different variations in how much you're earning. So if you're a neurosurgeon, you're obviously making more than someone who's a family doctor. There's this idea, I guess, yeah, that you, like, as you mentioned, that you're getting paid a lot as soon as you're a doctor. Um, and, and obviously, right, like that's just, that just it comes with it. Knowing a little bit more about that, you realize that, hey, it, it actually takes a while before you really see it. And, and med school is expensive. And there's, there's all this education that you're trying to get. And, and it's all expensive. All is adding up. It's all, right? Like it's all, uh, you're just trying to get to the point where you can finally charge enough to, to, to redeem yourself here. I, th- I think that's, that's, that's the most underrated thing, right? That people think is, now, at the age of 22, 20, 23, you're essentially taking a, a half a million dollar, a quarter million dollar loan, right? So uh, you're, you're buying, you're uh, taking a loan from, uh, you know, your government agencies now to pay for uh, essentially a house, right? Like how many people yeah. are paying for homes at 23? And now you have the added pressure of that. Now, you know, you always have that in the back of your mind, but... But damn, if I fail this and I get kicked out of school or if I don't make it through or I don't get this job or position, I have a house to pay for. How am I going to pay for it? And that's that's always sitting on your shoulder. But, you know, that's all it's for most of us. That's motivation. Right. Like it's uh, it's, uh, you know, fire under the chair. So it gets us going. Yeah. So you were in New York at the time the pandemic started. Um maybe what were you doing right before yeah right at this time at this time last year (laughs) we're we're recording this beginning of january here um of uh, 2021 in in january of 2020 what were you doing so in january of 2020 uh you know i was not only anticipating a very good year which i was let down on uh i was working in new york city in my final year in at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan as a cardiology fellow, uh, and you know, waiting for hearing about all of these things that were happening on the other side of the world, um, and being told by our Chinese colleagues 
uh, in Wuhan having teleconferences with them. And I, you know, I distinctly remember <clears throat> this one day, not in January, but it was end of February, we actually had a teleconference with the major hospital in Wuhan. And the guy, I, I think I, or if you saw the clip on my Instagram, but the guy literally said, Americans do not realize that life as they know it will no longer exist. This is the COVID life. And that hit me so hard because we had just started seeing, we had maybe five or six cases of COVID in New York. Two of them were at our hospital and we had no idea what was coming. So, you know, it was, it's been a crazy whirlwind of a year. So did they, so then at, at the hospital where you're doing the normal thing, COVID hits at a certain point, then does the whole hospital then like kind of reorganize itself to be able to handle because you were, I mean, they, they, there were, I mean, especially at the beginning, it was an incredible amount of, I think, COVID patients with also people just not knowing anything about it. Like, I feel like, you know, now we're, we're that much more educated, but, um, you know, New York got hit really hard from, from the beginning, right? Um, what right. was, what happened kind of in the, in the hospital at that point? Yeah. So, um, you know, that it's, you're reorganizing such a sound structure, right? We if you think about it, we're, we're a multi-million, billion-dollar company, right? And we're just that is now faced with a crisis. So now everything that you know and you do on a day-to-day basis has to shut down. So surgeries that you think you're you're gonna do, any elective surgery has to stop. Uh, you know, every one of your floors is now being transferred. When now we're essentially, so they're they're just crazy days, right? Like we had faced the most insane days that many times have I heard over the course of that, a lot of doctors say, these are days we never have ever imagined we would see. You're essentially running around trying to fill oxygen in oxygen tanks because you had no idea that you're going to be out of oxygen. We take it for granted, right? We just thought it was this plug in the wall. Uh, you know, you just stick it. It always comes out. Yeah. yeah, it's always there. And that, there was a day where we ran out of oxygen. Right now, we we are we had a floor where we didn't have oxygen, which was insane in a hospital. Right now, we're standing there manually compressing airbags to oxygenate our patients that are gonna die within a minute if we don't give them oxygen, which is you know just shocking to think about because we just didn't know. And you know the, the the things about PPE are everyone's heard about, but. You know, like I was actually one of the, the very first few people uh, that was assigned to be in the hospital when COVID first hit. So essentially, we cleared out our staff thinking, what the hell is going on? We got to convert all of these units to COVID wards. Uh, you know, we have to have isolated rooms, specialized rooms. Uh, you know, have to keep people safe. Uh, we have to have appropriate uh, isolation for different types of patients which takes a lot of reorganization at, a, at an institutional level, right? And, and did stuff like cardiology, like, was that, was that uh, like, who cares? Like, was it just like a push this on hold or where, where do you still have to do? What do you do right now? You have, well, I'll give you for an example. So when you, when you have a heart attack, what happens is essentially you, you rush to the hospital in an emergency situation. You know, you're seen in the ER, you're diagnosed with a heart attack within 60 to 90 minutes is our window that we have to take you to the operating room and essentially operate and put a stent in and you know put a tube into your heart to keep your uh, the blood flow adequate to different parts of the muscle. 
Now, that is such a critical thing. You're essentially going to lose somebody if you don't do that. Yeah. Now you have people who potentially have COVID uh, who are brought into that operating room, have contaminated that operating room. We don't know if that's going to be uncontaminated, if the solutions we're using are, are capable of uncontaminating areas. Now you're bringing in somebody else who is so sick into that room. Are you just going to screw them up any further? So now across New York, we had to have a system which was suggested by our Wuhan doctors. I guess they had learned it in Italy and Wuhan that there's one hospital for COVID positive patients. So if you have any suspicion that they had COVID, they, instead of going to the closest hospital, we started transferring everyone to a, a single site. And there were other sites that were clean operating rooms. So now you're thinking about this on an institutional, not only institutional basis, but a city level basis, right? So that's reorganization of such an essential service for the city that, you know, that it was just chaotic. And we, we got through it. We, it was a huge learning curve. You know, even at this point, we're seeing records like in Ontario, we're seeing crazy records. So as much as we've learned, and people like to say that, uh, I used to tell folks here, my friends who are practicing medicine here, like, please get ready. This is the most terrifying and horrifying thing you'll experience. Uh, and they had no idea. And my friend actually is now that numbers here are so bad, uh, called me last week and he was in the ward here at Trillium. And he said, man, I had no idea what you were talking about until today. And it, this is insane, right? And now, and this is after all of the reorganizing that we've done. But right. it in itself is, is it's it's something it's something else, man. It's, like, it seems like it's something that even if someone tells you, and I I can even remember back when when you know hearing initially say in March about what COVID was going to be about, and and being like, yeah, but it's not that you know you, you don't really that. appreciate what someone's saying you're you, you kind of take it as ah, all right i guess but it doesn't sound that bad until right. it starts to set in i think right and there's probably and, and from what i get gather you're saying is even from a doctor level it's the same because it's kind of been the same way for so long i'll tell you a great story right like a, a little a little uh you know comic relief is always good so <laughs> when, when all this started right like we had uh we had a lot of covid uh craziness in new york we only had two cases. So people were losing their mind about how, you know, everybody coughing may have COVID. We didn't have mass precautions in the hospital, anything of that, of that sort. So we had, uh, we had a lot of international visitors to our hospital. Uh, so we had this, uh, guy from the middle East, <laughs> I think he was from Qatar or something who just came for like a simple diagnostic test because he was wealthy. He could afford to fly to New York and he just knew somebody at our hospital. So he was Private paying, it's a lot of that we, we don't experience here in Toronto. So I think while getting scanned, this guy doesn't speak English. He's quite a wealthy guy, but doesn't speak English, doesn't have his translator with him. He's getting scanned and he coughs on like our technician, who's uh, quite a young girl. Folks on the ward just freaked out and they locked him in a closet for, <laughs> for six hours, right? And we didn't, at that point, we don't have swabs. We don't have diagnostic tests to tell somebody this is COVID or not COVID. And this guy was so sweet and I felt so bad for him. But, and then like, we, we have, we have to have some sort of humor within this situation to keep us alive in a hospital. And we just found this to be hilarious, right? Like, and then eventually the hospital management had to come down and deal with this. It was just, it was comical to another level, but you, we felt a lot of that. And at that point, 
even us as doctors, we're thinking like, this is hysterical, right? Like this right. is not going to get that bad here. You don't think about it. You think it's almost unbelievable, but you know, you know nothing is. Yeah. I'm running through in my head, all the funny conversations you'd have with the guy in the closet. And yes, the, the, the Larry David, uh, Jerry Seinfeld in me is, uh, it's, <laughs> it's right through all, all the, all the cool things you can work with, um, right, with that material. Right. Um, but poor guy. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> um, feel for the guy, but yeah. Did, was there like a, in terms of the response, uh, the, you know, the American response, and this is a loaded question, but the, versus Canadian, but from a medical perspective, let's kind of take the politics out of it. How, like, how different is it? Was it, do, do you get a sense for like the, the response or? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's quite, you know, it's hard to take the politics out of it, but uh, it's way more responsible here. And not, I'm not saying that on, on a governmental level. I'm saying that about on a, on a basic societal level of day to day. What people are doing and i'm so impressed by that right everyone is socially distancing you go you know even generally when i talk to people here they're a lot more uh, responsive to even the level of cases that we're seeing now which is so dramatic but i'm so pleased with uh, the attitude that canadians have had about this and you know it, it makes me proud honestly even there they're obviously there's always going to be outliers and people who are going to uh, you know, take advantage of situations, but in general, I would say I'm uh, as a physician, I, I'm proud of the way people are handling it here in Toronto. Yeah, it seemed it seems a lot. I mean, and we obviously hear a lot from the U.S. media, but it does seem like um, there are different camps and kind of the frustration, probably. And I can kind of see it, hear it in the interviews and things from people, you know, mostly doctors that you have and on, on what they're saying, because it's hard, I think, for them to convey what's going on. Um, and even you, I think I can see you struggling sort of to, to try to tell us, hey, here's what it means. Here's what, it, you know, it's hard to kind of put it into words, the the increase or the, the, the stress, I think, right. and going we, on, right? Right. And for it's, it's not, it's our job. And it's not fair for us to, to tell people, like, don't make our job harder, because it is our job. And we right. right. But like, it's not that that's not our concern the concern is don't get sick right like this is there's it's a dramatic sickness and we're not being hyperbolic when we tell you that right this is this is the reality of the situation like and i had mentioned this to you from the start is that within the walls of a hospital is a war zone so for us it's yeah. like a war zone right now but you know for you don't come into the war zone it's just as simple as that Right. Yeah, so, it's it's boring for the rest of us. Like that's our problem, right? It's just yeah, no. it's like, hey, there's nothing to do. This sucks, right? Like for <laughs> like, this, this is terrible. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, uh, it's it's uh, what we need. It's, uh, it, has it, so you you're a doctor, and in you know, in this pandemic's going on. Are there like how does it make you feel? I guess to having been a doctor and being able to contribute or help now that the pandemic's going on and like, are there, are there kind of COVID-19 lessons that or takeaways that you have? Uh, that, that is probably the most loaded question you asked. Right. So I think, um, one is a, a huge level of disappointment, which is it's the pessimistic side of me. And, you know, it's, it makes me sad sometimes to see when we're risking our lives that people answer to that with such naive things. There have been reports that doctors enjoy working during COVID because they make more money, right? Like, and, and that is a minority, and I understand that, but it, 
it hurts, right? It, it hurts us on a day-to-day basis that, uh, you know, we're risking our lives for you guys. And that is the response from people and that's uncomfortable. And for example, during New York, it was just heartbreaking when, when you know, we were, I saw pregnant, I'm young. I'm a young guy. I don't have a kid at home, but you're seeing pregnant women reusing PPE because people in the political landscape, unfortunately, are not willing to support our efforts. You know, and that is, those are lessons I will never forget. Is that for me as a physician, I always think we have to govern the walls within a hospital, right? And we have to let as doctors be leaders within that community and don't let other voices like invade it. Because we always have <clears throat> generally at large, not only doctors, but everybody within the hospital has the best interest of the patient and nobody else will understand that. So I think that going forward in my life, at least I will always carry that. But I think that is the biggest lesson. Now the lessons of, how stressful it was, how much, you know, like how much stress I went from day to day. Those are all lessons that are going to dilute. But the larger lesson is, you know, you know, be more humble, right? Because at the start of this, I never did I think we would get to this point. And now we're at the worst pandemic we've seen in a hundred years. Full of surprises. Yeah. Full of surprises. Um, and, and, and they don't end. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we're, we're, we're there. And, you know, I, I just want to add, like, the miracle that we're facing now is with the, the vaccine. You know, when you're in medical school, you learn that it takes 10 years to build a vaccine. Yeah. Right? And then and hopefully we're, we're around the corner. That, yeah, that sounds, yeah, I, I can't, that, that's like a, a human crazy feat um, that I think yeah. doesn't get appreciated then, enough i no, think probably it's hard i didn't appreciate it enough it's crazy and there's, guys, right? and there's people drinking four local on the street and they're asking like i'm not going to take the vaccine because i don't know what's in it like yeah don't, yeah like but you'll drink a four loco all right man yeah, yeah, but, but, but like we started we, early in this conversation we were talking about how um it, it like, like what it takes the research you know the boring research and and that that personality that it took to do it and the thing is you know that it that that's that's who that's who that's who it was that made this vaccine right like it was it was these intent like the the, yeah. the, the scrutiny of the research someone Absolutely. that wanted that out of their career that said hey i'm gonna go and do this and and there's a role for that and, right and, right and and then and then they went to the school they spent 15 20 years doing it they spent all their time researching it and then they came up with you know part of the team that came up with the vaccine to, to say, right? Like it's, it, it, it's a crazy story that starts so much earlier than you even knew. Absolutely. Right. What it would be, it, right? Yeah. It's somebody who found fascination at the stage of before going to medical school in a lab and said, I'm going to focus my career on the research aspect of it. Bless them. And there, and you know, for the forever we're indebted to that person and those people. And then, uh, you know, we need those people in the world. Yeah. And there's, and then if that's what interests people, there is that scope in medicine. Again, there's that the, the uh, variability is what I want to stress is, you know, if for anybody in me- who gets into the medical field, you'll find a space just of what your personality is, is what determines where you go. On that note, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. I, I learned a lot and uh, yeah, it was, it, it was great to, to, to hear about the path. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, I want to say, and 
uh, you know, I, I don't think I've mentioned this to you before. I, I really admire that you were taking this step and, you know, acknowledging this huge gap that exists in society where you know, before we make that step into what career we pick, nobody tells us what the hell we're getting into <laughs> and important. And I, I wish you great success and it's, it's a huge endeavor. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And I know it's on everyone's mind, COVID-19 doctors, they're getting a lot of, well, it's just, it's just what we're talking about. And so I hope that was a interesting background to give you a little bit more context from a, a doctor about, about what it's like to not only be a doctor, but also sort of be involved in the front line. So um, got a bunch of other really cool episodes on the way. So please review me if you can on iTunes is probably the best place Apple podcast. And until next time, don't worry, be happy. Mm-hmm.